Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Stunning news in Indiana's 5th Congressional District as Congresswoman Susan Brooks announces she is retiring and won't run again for re-election in 2020. I sat down with her Friday afternoon to talk one-on-one about her decision. Does your decision have anything to do with the politics of 2019 and the climate that we're in now? Dan, this is a decision. The decision whether or not to run for office is something that I actually undertake every other year since I've been in office. Uh, during that off election cycle year, I have you know, talked with family and friends to, to really determine whether or not I was going to run again. Um, this uh, particular time, it is all about uh, a personal life choice, a quality of life type of choice. I have been in elected office or in appointed office uh, in public service for 16 of the last 22 years of my career. And, uh, and our kids now live all across uh, the country, and actually our son has moved up to Alaska. And uh, I just would really like more flexibility and freedom in my schedule. Has this become more of a swing district? Could your departure put this... Uh, put this particular district you know, in play? I don't think so. Um, I you know, won with almost 57% of the vote in this last election cycle. I've won my other elections uh, with, with very wide margins. And so, and I feel very good going into a presidential election where there's even a higher turnout uh, that the Republicans will hold the seat. And I'm going to be very committed to, you know, making sure we have a, a great nominee uh, to take my place on the ballot. And so I feel like it will be, you know, a safe Republican district. Is this a difficult environment, though, to serve in these days? With, all, with everything going on in Washington, uh, obviously uh, a president that makes a lot of news and, and that leads to a lot of questions that, that you get asked and that everyone gets asked in Congress to respond to remarks such as this past week. Um, when, he, when he talked about taking dirt from a, a foreign government or other things that we've seen in the past. Is this a difficult environment to serve in amidst everything that's happening? Well, I think what, what is different is because our president is such a prolific tweeter is that we uh, are asked to respond or comment uh, more than maybe uh, past administrations. Um, however, I think what's been more difficult in this Congress right now is that you know I came to Congress to really solve problems, to legislate. I've been a very bipartisan legislator. Um, I have a lot of friends across the aisle, but I've tried to focus in on problems that my constituents say um, they believe we should be addressing and find solutions to those problems. Right now, what's so difficult is that we are not getting that done in this particular legislative session. That is frustrating to me, um, that we're not uh, really doing a lot of serious legislating. But that's not why I'm not running. Um, I'm used to working in difficult environments. It has nothing actually to do with the climate in Washington. That has nothing to do with why I'm not running. What? It's all about the personal side of my life, for family and friends. That's why I'm not running. Well, and as life brings you back to Indiana, are you ruling out a run for office in the future? Could a run for governor be in your future? I know you expressed interest in that in the past, or if the party were to ask you to run for attorney general in a year where they've been calling on the current AG to step down. You know, after 16 years in public service, I am uh, ready to close that chapter. 
Uh, I am not interested in pursuing other public office. Um, I'm not going to pursue other public office. It's not just that I'm not interested now. Um, you know, my husband and I, my family, we, I am done uh, when the, this term is over in uh, serving in the public sector. Ruling it out. I am ruling it out. You can see more statements on our website and next week on In Focus. Just 10 days away from the first presidential debate, 20 Democrats taking the stage over two nights. Former VP Joe Biden still the front runner, but others have been gaining ground, including Senator Elizabeth Warren and Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who spoke at IU this past week. All of this happening as the president gets ready to host a campaign kickoff rally on Tuesday. President Trump also facing a lot of heat from 2020 Dems and others for saying in an interview that he'd take info on an opponent from a foreign government. Joe Biden tweeting, President Trump is once again welcoming foreign interference in our elections. This isn't about politics, he says. It's a threat to our national security, something he's been saying out on the campaign trail as well. I believe that the president is literally an existential threat to America. He makes his stance in Iowa once every two weeks, and then he mentions my name 74 times in one speech. Back and forth, the president and former VP really going at it this past week in Iowa. All of that happening the same day South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg made that speech at IU outlining some of his foreign policy positions. Our Kelly Rinke was there and she spoke with the mayor after his speech. Mayor Pete Buttigieg making his mark with a different approach during a primary race dominated by proposals on domestic policy. The need for a new foreign policy vision could not be more urgent today. In his home state, Buttigieg pitched his foreign policy, saying the Democratic Party lacks a consistent one and the current administration's policy shows a troubling pattern. This administration has embraced and emboldened autocrats while alienating democracies and allies around the globe. The former Navy Reserve officer called for an end to endless wars and the repeal of the AUMF, a law after 9-11 giving a president power to use force against nations or groups who played a role in the attacks. We should never again send troops into conflict without a clear definition of their mission and an understanding of what will come after. He also vowed to recommit the U.S. to the Iran nuclear deal and to view climate change as a national security issue, an important position for some in the crowd. Because I just think that is going to be such a driving force on just what happens in this world for a long, long time. I really appreciate that he's had his boots on the ground. He's gone and seen things. Buttigieg took several swipes at President Trump, including his focus on a border wall and approach with tariffs. As Indiana farmers say the trade war with China is hurting their bottom line. What do you say to those families, especially after threats of additional tariffs on Mexico? Well, it's that we're all seeing the consequences of uh, a trade policy, if you can even call it a policy, that doesn't have any strategy behind it. It was a nearly hour-long speech, focusing on why he thinks a new foreign policy vision is so urgent. The world needs America to be the best it's ever been. In a new Iowa poll by CNN and the Des Moines Register, former Vice President Joe Biden leads the pack, but it's a very close fight for second. Buttigieg is in that group, and he's the only veteran in the top five of that poll. Reporting in Bloomington, I'm Kelly Rinke. A lot of reaction to the mayor's speech and this core question presented in this headline from Time Magazine. Can a small-town mayor run as the foreign policy candidate in 2020? I talked about foreign policy, NATO, and Iran earlier this week with Republican Congressman Jim Banks. Any reaction to, to his remarks or more generally to his candidacy for president? Well, I, 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 know, I know Mayor Pete. I appreciate his service 
in uniform. I, I think he's uh, absolutely dead, dead wrong when it comes to the Iran nuclear deal, um, a very dangerous deal that rewarded Iran, uh, gave them billions of dollars to invest, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to invest in their, in their own nuclear program, which was what the deal was initially negotiated to try to prevent. Um, our, our end goal is to do everything we can to prevent um, Iran from developing further uh, uh, nuclear capabilities. And uh, that's why President Trump has been so tough on Iran and uh, so, much, so much tougher than the Obama administration ever was. And, and the tough uh, sanctions that we have in place as well after we pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal has brought Iran to a place that they haven't been in over a decade where they want to come back to the table and negotiate a deal that uh, perhaps will prevent them uh, from ever obtaining those uh, dangerous weapons that they've tried to try to produce even after they sign the deal. So it's a dangerous deal. Um, I, I question the judgment of Mayor Pete and uh, others who are part of the left wing base of the Democrat Party, the liberal uh, progressive wing of the Democrat Party, who want to return to a bad deal rather than negotiating something that's much stronger in the long term. All right, Congressman Jim Banks, thank you so much. Hope you have a great Father's Day. All right, great to be with you. All right, obviously Iran in the news quite a bit this week. Also Thursday, we reached out to Banks' office for comment on the president's controversial remarks on taking dirt from foreign governments. A spokesman told me, quote, the congressman believes that accepting any supposedly damaging information about a political opponent from a foreign government is below the dignity of any publicly elected office and that any such information should be referred to the FBI. Meantime, Congressman Andre Carson, part of a House Intelligence Committee hearing this past week on the Mueller report. That same committee just issued a subpoena for Michael Flynn Thursday as some of the investigations in Congress continue. Up next this Sunday in Focus, we'll talk about the controversy Mayor Joe Hogsett faced this week on the issue of housing and emotional moments on Capitol Hill with comedian John Stewart fighting for 9-11 first responders. You'll hear from some Hoosiers who were there on the front lines coming up. For the president to be so cavalier, to disregard, to be indifferent to law and any sense of ethics about who we are as a country to say he would invite foreign intervention. Doesn't the president have to set a tone about what is right and what is wrong? I think the president's been very clear. The president does not want foreign governments to interfere in our elections. A lot of reaction this week in Washington. Let's talk now with our panel, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner, 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel, and contributing editor for Politico and Indianapolis Monthly, Adam Wren. All right, guys, in the midst of all this, there are also new polling numbers out this week from Quinnipiac that show the president trailing uh, some of his potential 2020 opponents, trailing Joe Biden, as you see here, 53-40 in that poll trailing Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, both 49-41, uh, while Pete Buttigieg and Cory Booker both led 47-42. The president calling these, quote, fake polls this week. Mike, your thoughts on, well, on these numbers and the week that was as the president gets ready to launch his official I think we had to separate campaign. the two, first of all. I think the polls really don't matter at this point, and anything the president disagrees with is fake, right? So I set that aside. As far as what he said to, to the, in the Stephanopoulos interview, that was a pretty stunning statement, but I really mostly chalk that up to very poor staff preparation for him. They should have known something like that was coming, and either they didn't or he ignored them, and, and you end up with big news. 
Uh, your thoughts on the president saying he, he would probably take dirt? Staff preparation? Really? He's sure, an American. Should, that's not a thing we do. That's a dangerous thing to say. It's a dangerous thing to invite. And I honestly still can't believe he said it. And I think it's been condemned on the left and the right. And that's a good thing. Um, as a uh, fake polls, really, like... They're not fake. That is a direct reflection on where he is in the polls. Now, on the Democratic side, does that mean that those Democrats are going to win next November? No. But it means that he's in a very unpopular position. Your reaction to all this, Tony, and also you'll be there Tuesday in Orlando. What, what do you think oh, well, we'll hear from the president? Um, a vision for moving the, the country even, even uh, further ahead, as he has uh, made America great uh, in these last uh, three years and, and to continue that. Uh, look at our economy, jobs numbers, unemployment uh, at record lows, wages increasing, that kind of thing, doing great uh, around the world with our allies and strengthening our alliances, uh, fixing NATO, getting $100 billion from the other countries to contribute to NATO. That's helping our, our defense of, of, uh, of, of European nations. Um, regarding the polling, uh, he'll talk about that, I'm sure. Um, remember in 2016, the polls always said that he was behind up until the end. We knew here in Indiana that he was going to win Indiana big uh, and, and that he was going to be, be our next president. Also, if you look back at all the past presidents over the last you know, four or five of them and going into their second term at this time, they were all behind. Reagan was behind Mondale at this time. So he's going to win. Uh, the American people are, I think, tired of getting hoodwinked. He'll talk about the fraud that was the Mueller uh, investigation, and now the tables are turning there. So he'll talk about the investigation of the investigators. So a lot is going on. I'm excited. 75,000 people. I just happen to be leaving for Florida later uh, this morning, and uh, we'll be there. Uh, 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 hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll make it into the event. Uh, we'll talk, I think, from there. Yeah, we hope to talk to you. And then, and then a lot of watch parties going, yeah. a lot of excitement here in Indiana. Remember, in Indiana, that's where uh, Ted Cruz dropped out in the primary that night, or the right. primary, and, and Kasich the next day, and then we had a 20-point win in the fall. Also, I wanted to mention my friend and, and yours, Gerald Hawkins, okay. with Trump Hill, in uh, Cicero, He's Indiana. Mowing the lawn again. He's mowing yes. the lawn again. It's going to be a 20 Trump 20 uh, on there. And, and uh, so excited for him and, and uh, for all the Trump fans so here. You'll be there next Tuesday. Adam, you were there this past Tuesday as Mayor Pete Buttigieg spoke at IU. What was your biggest takeaway from that speech in the midst of everything else happening? It was a remarkable speech in the sense that he really linked himself to Hoosier foreign policy icons like former Congressman Lee Hamilton and the late Senator Dick Lugar. He had said that when he had planned the speech, he had hoped Lugar would be there. Um, but. Uh, the, the senator passed away. Uh, the transcript ran roughly 7,500 words. He addressed everything from climate change as a security issue to our status engaged in wars in Afghanistan, um, and really started to try to put to rest this idea that uh, the critics say that he hasn't been uh, forceful on, on rolling policy out. Um, so he, he was well received within the hall. Bloomington is a liberal city. Uh, sure. The crowd was uh, widely uh, white. Um, he's been struggling with the narrative that he's appealing only to, to, uh, to white people and not doing enough to the black community. But then uh, early, later in the week, um, on Thursday, we saw him uh, unveil a policy agenda uh, called the, the Douglas Plan, which is a new plan to kind of boost uh, black entrepreneurship and lower incarceration rates. So it was a big policy week for him. So as you mentioned, former Congressman Lee Hamilton uh, joined Buttigieg there on stage to uh, introduce the South Bend mayor. Uh, here's more of what Buttigieg told us afterwards when asked about the importance of the Midwest and also the possibility of an election matchup 
with the president and all of his tough talk on Twitter. It may come down to name-calling on his side, but uh, I'm not going to play that game. Look, you can't go on his show and expect to win. Uh, so the only response to his show is to change the channel, and that's what we're trying to do. Mayor, why is it important for you to come to Bloomington at College Town? Well, I've really been looking forward to featuring the fact that uh, the heartland can be global, too. I think a lot of people envision uh, various oak-paneled halls in, in, uh, in the capital when they think about foreign policy. But part of what I'm trying to achieve, part of what I talked about in the speech, is the idea that foreign policy needs to come home, and also it needs to include the voices of the heartland. Uh, your thoughts on framing that kind of a message on foreign policy to, to voters here in the Midwest, and can he be, as a mayor of a small town in Indiana, mid-sized town, a credible voice on foreign policy? Well, there's no doubt that he can be. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Truman was a, a hat maker, right, in Missouri. I mean, anybody can that has brains and intellect and uh, vision can have a voice. And I think Buttigieg has a voice. The question is, is it sustainable? And how far can he take this? I think he's shown he's he can take it pretty far, and he's going yeah. to continue to take it pretty far. I mean, he absolutely has credibility. He has served our country abroad. He has the credibility to talk about this. And I actually would say that I don't think most people see him as a small-town mayor anymore. They see him as a viable Democratic presidential candidate. I think that narrative is quickly shifting. And I think, to your point, Adam, he had a really good week on policy. He's been up there uh, toward the top of the polls. What will we see when, when 20 Democrats take the stage uh, 10 days from now? from your perspective. Yeah, things are going to change. And, and I, I, I would just remind us all that we're uh, seeing this as folks uh, that are engaged in politics and in the media. Average uh, people aren't really average watching. Average people yet. aren't. Right. So this may be their although, first look. Exactly. Yeah. Although he has been doing well among the other Democratic field, um, you know, they're going to take shots at each other. That's going to start. Some people will pay more attention to him, some to you know, the other candidates. He's still got a long way to go before he reaches that level of, uh, of uh, matching with the president. All right, from the mayor of South Bend now to the mayor of Indianapolis, a new report from the Indy Star alleges Mayor Joe Hogsett inflated the number of rehabbed homes under a city housing program. Starting in 2017, Mayor Hogsett set to transform 2,000 rundown homes in two years. This year, he announced the city surpassed that goal by more than 500. But the Indy Star reports many of those homes are still unlivable. A home on South Kenwood Street, one example. The mayor's online dashboard listed it as repair order brought to compliance and counted it as one of about 2,500 rehabbed homes. We found in some cases there were some successes, um, uh, but in several others we found that the outcomes fell short of the promises. The mayor told the Indy Star we can argue about the nomenclature, but I think it's fair to say we have improved housing stock and improved neighborhoods in excess of 2,000 throughout the city. Here's what Jim Merritt said on Thursday, his opponent. The mayor pledged in 2017 to rehab, transform, or demolish 2,000 homes within the next two years. And once again, Mayor Hogsett has failed the residents of Indianapolis. Quickly, guys, is this going to be something that hurts the mayor this uh, election year? You know, it was a story uh, for Merritt that really allowed him to change the conversation right. after last week events surrounding the Pride Parade. Um, however, the house that he selected, it was reported after uh, after this press conference took place, had already been acquired and was being planned to, to demolish uh, earlier in the week. So it, it's a bit of a confused, I think, narrative at this point. Anybody else think this is going to have much resonance? Well, I think, you know, whether the house is going to be demolished the next day or not is really, it's like a, you know, a pimple on, on an elephant's butt. I mean, the fact is that, that Hogsett um, completely inflated okay. 
And while it not, may not have been fraud in the, in the legal sense, it was certainly deceptive and misleading. And I think he owes uh, a big explanation and apology to the people of Indianapolis. I think they got that. I think he said he was sorry and that he didn't live up to expectations, and I don't think this is going to be a big issue in the All campaign. Right, we'll have to leave it right there. Coming up next, the fight for first responders from 9-11 as Hoosiers react to John Stewart's emotional testimony in Congress. That's coming up next. Indy 500 champ Simon Pagino was welcomed to the White House this past week. President Trump congratulated him and the rest of Team Penske on their big win at Indianapolis. Well, Hoosiers who served at Ground Zero are worried funding for their medical bills could be running out. With the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund set to expire next year, just this week, John Stewart gave emotional testimony in Congress asking lawmakers to provide permanent funding. They did their jobs with courage, grace, tenacity, humility. 18 years later, do yours. Emotional words in Congress. The very next day that funding did pass the House Judiciary Committee and now heads to the full House. Our Kelly Rinke spoke with members of Indiana Task Force One who were there at Ground Zero who say this funding is critical for their medical needs. When you look at illnesses that are, have been caused by exposures from Ground Zero, there is no timeline. So cancer doesn't have a timeline that's going to show up. You can see more of that story on our website. Stick around. We'll be back to wrap things up right after this. All right, let's get your winners and losers. Adam. Uh, my winner is Pete Buttigieg, who is on track to raise $15 million this quarter, CNN reports. And uh, my loser is State Senator Jim Merritt, who has yet to um, roll out significant policy proposals in his six months run for mayor. That's funny because my loser is Mayor Hogsett because of this uh, fraud with, with the homes that he said were fixed and that are not. And winners are Senator Merritt because this is going to be a big issue for him. And my father, since it's Father's Day, who's 88 years old and a huge Trump fan. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, Jennifer. It's true. My dad is not a Trump fan, but he is a winner. <laughs> uh, my losers are Fair Oaks Farm for more animal cruelty allegations and Kellyanne Conway for violating the Hatch Act. She ought to lose her job. Kellyanne Conway, big loser. Arrogance beyond measure. And the winner has to be Todd Young. I'll call him the tall sycamore on the Wabash for standing up to President Trump on Saudi arms sales. All right, guys, thank you so much. Hope you all have a great Father's Day as well. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.